Welcome to our Tuesday episode of Locked on Canes, and thank you for making us your first Miami Hurricanes listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. So I know that it's been a parade of positivity, fun, and hope, given all Miami is investing in Mario Cristobal and his very expensive coaching staff, and we're bullish on the future. But let's not forget that this amazing staff, and even with all the good things they're already doing in recruiting, they did inherit a flawed roster. A good roster, but a flawed roster. So on today's episode, let's identify the biggest negatives and the biggest weaknesses on paper for the 2022 Miami Hurricanes. I am Alex Dono, your host of Locked on Canes. I am a University of Miami alumnus, longtime radio pre- and post-game host on the Miami Hurricanes radio network, and a South Florida radio veteran, and I'm very happy to be on board here on the Locked On Network. It's a network I've been following for a long time, and this is our third episode talking some Canes. Some of you may know me already uh, from some of my previous work. Others are getting to know me for the first time. You should know that I'm an optimistic, glass-half-full type of guy. And one of the exercises I wanted to do here heading into what's going to be a pretty long offseason before we kick off 2022, and it's going to feel like a long offseason because there's so much excitement that every day is going to go by uh, incredibly slowly, but we do have plenty to talk about right now with spring football. But one of the exercises I wanted to to do here is go through the biggest strengths and the biggest weaknesses on Miami's roster heading into next year. So we're going to do an episode on the strengths. That's not today. That'll be tomorrow. Today's episode is going through the weaknesses. Now, I wanted to start with the weaknesses because given that I'm such a a positive, optimistic guy, and it's a good time to be positive about Miami football, I would rather start on a low note and end on a high note. Now, we'll do the offensive side of the football first here. Now, this one, when I go through this group... This is going to upset some of you, but don't misunderstand my angle here, okay? Um, You're going to think I'm reaching for a weakness. Now, I'm going to start with the wide receiver group, and I'm starting with this because I think this group could end up being a strength, but there's a couple reasons why it's an area to keep an eye on. On paper, I think wide receiver could end up being a fantastic group on this football team. And I think the entire offense uh, is something to be proud of and something to be excited for. But so much of that strength in the wide receiver room, it's going to lie in their potential. And the reason why I wanted to spotlight this group first is simply because Miami has lost their top two receivers from a year ago. So, Normally, we wouldn't be so optimistic about the passing game, but I think in this case, it's a testament to the quarterback play and also the young guys who we're hoping are going to step up in the receiver room that makes us feel like it is a positive. But let's not forget, before we talk about what Miami has in that receiver room, let's not forget about what Miami has lost, okay? Charleston Rambo, he set Miami's single-season reception and receiving yards records last year hauling in 79 catches, record, and 1,172 yards, record. 
Miami's losing him. He's out of eligibility. Miami is also losing Mike Harley. Mike Harley set Miami's career receptions record with 174 grabs during his time in Coral Gables, passing Reggie Wayne in the process. And Harley's single-season stats, obviously not as good as Charleston Rambo's, but uh, still Miami's second receiver in terms of yardage and touchdowns last year. Mike Harley, 543 receiving yards last year. And Mike Harley and Charleston Rambo combined for 12 touchdown grabs, with Rambo getting seven of those, Harley getting five of those. That's a lot of catches, a lot of touchdowns, and a lot of yards that Miami's going to need to replace from last year. But again, I'm not going to straight up call the receiving room a weakness. I just want to point out they're losing experience and they're losing reliability. That's a lot of touchdowns and a lot of yards Miami's got to replace, okay? Miami did, incoming-wise, they got an experienced receiver in the portal, Frank Ladson Jr. from Clemson. He is coming off of hip surgery. I think he's going to be fully recovered. Didn't have a huge impact in his two years at Clemson University, but this is a former four-star recruit. He's going to try and get a big-time do-over in Miami. You remember what K.J. Osborne had after leaving Buffalo for Miami. He wants to look for a career renaissance like that, okay? Now, you look at young players who are stepping into their own. A couple of these names we've talked about a lot on previous episodes of this pod. Keyshawn Smith and Jacoby George can be game breakers. They're heading into uh, redshirt sophomore years next year. I loved, by the way, what our guest yesterday, we spoke with former University of Miami player Brian Monroe. I loved what he had to say about Brashard Smith. Uh, he said that this guy is athletic enough and versatile enough to be like University of Miami's version of Debo Samuel. So I think you could see him line up in a lot of different areas. Uh, I think Xavier Restrepo is going to be on track to be this decade's version of Braxton Berrios. I'm also going to throw shout-outs to players like Michael Redding III, Dazzlin Warsham, and Romello Brinson. There's loads of talent there. Uh, I think if I'm going to look at one guy in the current receiver group, uh, I'm very, very bullish on Keyshawn Smith. Uh, I think that he and the chemistry that he's building with Tyler Van Dyke, this is the type of guy I think could have an explosion in production this type of year. So there's there's a lot of talent there in the wide receiving room, but inexperienced players, young players who need to step up and be consistent. We've seen Miami have issues with players taking that next step in the past. I do think with the coaching staff getting better, the talent development should also get better than what it was in recent years. But don't kill me for starting with this group, okay? Don't kill me for starting with a deep wide receivers room, but I think it's worth mentioning Anytime you lose your two leading receivers from one year, I think it's worth pointing out that Charleston Rambo, heck of a player. Mike Harley, very good player. You're going to need a few of these receivers to step up and try to create that kind of consistency is all I'm saying. Okay, so since we got the wide receiver room out of the way, let's get to a more glaring weakness something we're actually looking at and saying, you know, you can question me bringing up the wide receiver group, but this one, staying here on the offensive side of the football, this could be problematic. That's the offensive line. This is an area that I think is in great hands long-term. When you got coaches like Mario Cristobal, your head coach, Alex Mirabal as your offensive line coach, they're going to make recruiting these five positions on your O-line into a bigger priority than it's been before. And I think now that Miami is showing that they're, they're willing to 
put more money and more resources into their football program, into their athletic program as a whole, uh, I think that they're just going to have the sheer money to be able to find more of these guys outside of the state of Florida because we talk about Florida, especially South Florida, being such a rich recruiting ground. You know, one of the areas where it's not as rich is the trench play, right? I mean, you're not going to find better running backs, receivers, defensive backs, linebackers in a lot of cases than you're going to find in South Florida. But when it comes to O-linemen and D-linemen, especially O-linemen, you're going to find some good ones here, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times you're going to have to leave the state to find the real big-time players. And I think Cristobal and Mirabal are going to be able and willing to do that. But, you know, for right now, the group is the group. Because I think the true freshmen that they brought in are more projects. You did bring in a transfer we'll talk about who I think is probably going to waltz right into a starting position there. But I think as for right now, we're going to have to hope that schematics and coaching can bring out the best in a group that just might not be as talented as some of the other position groups at the U. So from last season, Miami has lost Navon Donaldson, Jared Williams. Uh, I don't think, unfortunately, either of them has much of an NFL future. They ran out of eligibility. You lost Corey Gaynor in the transfer portal. He wound up at UNC. Now, Miami was prepared for Gaynor transferring because Chikai Clark, who's still on this offensive line, that's the guy who outplayed Gaynor at center and took his job. So I mentioned Miami getting a player in the transfer portal. This is something I'm really excited about. And, you know, this isn't one of the best offensive linemen in the country or anything like that. But uh, this is this is the sort of player you're going to see Mario Cristobal going after and, and landing. And this is a player who literally has followed Cristobal from Oregon. Redshirt freshman Logan Sagapolu. He's a first-time transfer. Former Oregon Duck, six foot three, three hundred forty pounds, was a three-star recruit a couple of years ago. He's from the state of Utah. Uh, I think this guy is probably going to end up being a starting guard. We'll say right guard with Miami immediately from coming in. You know the new transfer rules; he's not going to have to sit out. And for the short term, I'm talking this year and next year. I think you're going to see players like this that Cristobal has to go out in the transfer portal and get. And, of course, with the focus that he puts on the offensive line. We read you the quote last week. I think it was from Justice Oluazian, who was just blown away by the amount of personal hands-on time Cristobal spends with the offensive linemen. Uh, so this is a huge priority for him. He he spends a lot of time with that position group. Heck, it's the position he played. It, it's a position he's coached before. Spends a lot of time with these guys in practice. So I think he's going to attract more offensive linemen like this. Because, hey, let's not forget, Mario Cristobal is the guy who recruited Penny Suell to Oregon. So he has himself a decent track record when it comes to elite offensive linemen. Now, this is not an elite offensive line right now in Miami, far from it. Uh, I was reading uh, an interesting preseason piece at stateoftheu.com by Justin Dottavito, and his predicted starting five on the offensive line would be uh, left tackle Zion Nelson, who's one of the better returnees from the group last year. Left guard Jalen Rivers, ditto to him. Ja'Kai Clark, who we mentioned at center. And then uh, new starters on the right side. I mentioned Logan Sagapolu, the transfer, and right tackle Michael McLaughlin. 
Now McLaughlin is a player that I am excited about. Uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't really ready to contribute last year as a true freshman. He's a redshirt freshman this year. I hope he's putting more weight on because I mean, coming out of high school, two hundred ninety pounds, but at six foot seven. But that also means he's got an incredible frame to play offensive tackle, and he still has room to grow into that. So this guy is gigantic. He looks the part, was a very highly touted recruit in 2020. Local kid out of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas was a four-star recruit back then in 2020. So honestly, I think this is the type of player who's got the size. He's got the natural raw ability. Uh, It's exciting to have coaches like Cristobal and Mirabal to be able to inherit a player like this who's young enough to be kind of a blank slate that they can just draw a masterpiece on that canvas. And so uh, I think this is a guy to watch out for. If he does end up, like predicted on that potential starting five, if he does end up winning the starting right tackle job, I think this is a player that four years with this coaching staff could end up being really, really, really good, especially with Miami's strength and conditioning staff as well. Um, you know, he came out of high school at 290 pounds. Don't be surprised if he's 60, 70 pounds heavier than that by the time he's ready to play at the next level. And that's going to be quality size he's adding on as well. You know, there, there are other names uh, on the depth chart that you know, certainly hopefully can find improvement here. I know that there's been some frustration for these guys playing with so many different offensive line coaches. I mean, DJ Scaife. Four O-line coaches in five years, including this year to come. Uh, you know, players like Zelante Hillary, John Campbell, Cleveland Reed have, you know, been frustrating and inconsistent. So I, I think uh, the onus is going to be on this coaching staff to just try and find clear roles for some of these players. Uh, most importantly, find the best starting five and go with it. And I think it's also good news that you have a quarterback who actually did a pretty damn good job getting rid of the football quickly, uh, improvising enough with his legs. You know, we devoted yesterday's episode to Tyler Van Dyke. And I think one of the big takeaways from that conversation was, I mean, you all know from watching TVD last year, rocket of an arm, ton of accuracy down the field. But even though when it comes to his wheels, he's not the fastest. Doesn't always look pretty when he's running, but he's got moves and he's got sheer will and determination. And he was able to turn some plays into big games with his legs. And he has a really good sense on when to bail out of the pocket. So even when the pass protection wasn't great, TVD found a way to make the most of that. I'm not going to nitpick the offense anymore. uh, And we're going to feature this side of the football a lot when we do our strengths episode tomorrow because... There's a lot to be excited about, about the quarterback room, the tight ends. Oh, my goodness, the running backs. So when we come back, we're going to take a look at potential weaknesses on the defense. You know what's never a weakness is Built Bar. Oh, my friends, they are a strength. This is the time of the year. Usually at this point, I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions. Not this year, guys. I am sticking to my resolution to eat right thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating these a lot. Have you tried the new Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. That is a word, by the way, I think. They're not just a protein bar. They are a treat. 
and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like yummy cinnamony churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, which is my personal favorite. They're so good. These are going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Yes, the Puffs included. That's 100% real chocolate. They're low-calorie and high-protein. So replace your candy bars with these. They're better. A typical candy bar can be anywhere from two to 300 calories. I used to have a gut because of those. Not anymore. Go to Built.com and scroll down to the macros chart. You'll be blown away. High-protein, low-cal, high-fiber, low-carb. Most Built Bars contain... 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which is usually around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. You can get flavors like mint brownie, coconut, coconut almond, and new for this month, white chocolate cookies and cream. They're delicious, and new flavors are coming out all the time. If they think a flavor might be good, they're going to make it. It's going to be delicious, and it's going to be good for you always. At Built Bar, they are all about the taste. They make it taste delicious first, and then they figure out how to make it healthy. And I don't know how, but they pull it off every time. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Thanks again for making Locked on Canes your first listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Before we move on to the defense and potential weaknesses there, let me just mention a couple of quick stats from the offense. I meant to get to this with the offensive line. This is tangible evidence as to why the O-line needs to get better. Miami last season, 89th in the country in sacks allowed. 97th in rushing. So those are not the type of stats that teams with good offensive lines produce, certainly not the stats that teams with great offensive lines produce. So that is evidence there as to how and why that unit needs to get better. Now on the defensive side of the football, if you want to look at overall team stats, uh, they weren't good last year. They weren't good the last couple of years. And This is a big reason why Manny Diaz is no longer the head coach at Miami. The defense was better when he was coordinating it versus when he was the head coach. Now, in 2021, it was a double whammy because he was the head coach and defensive coordinator. And these numbers aren't it. In opponent points per game, Miami ranked 92nd, giving up 31 points per game. Opponents yards per game, Miami ranked 80th, giving up 407 yards. 83rd in opponent's third down conversion rate at 41.14%. And this one really hurt. 129th in opponent red zone scoring. Honestly, I didn't realize there were even 129 FBS teams. I thought it was 128, but somehow Miami was number 129 in opponent red zone scoring at 97.37%. And if you take a look at the flip side of that, uh, we all know Miami had an effective offense for most of the season last year. Miami's own red zone scoring offensively was top half of the country, but number 46 
at 85.42%. So yeah, when you're when your offense is scoring more than 85% of their trips to the red zone, but your defense is giving up scores over 97% of the time, that tells you you probably had a lot of high-scoring games last year. You probably had a lot of games where your offense was good enough to win. Your defense wasn't good enough to secure those wins. So um, let's start as far as weaknesses on the defense uh, I think a good place to start is the linebacking core, arguably the most inconsistent part of the Hurricanes football team last year. You just really haven't had consistency there since the Mark Rick days when you had the trio of Quarterman, Pinckney, and McLeod at linebacker. Now, McLeod, he was at Miami for like six years, and he ended up playing his final year last year uh, on the defensive line as a pass rusher. Uh, but when you had that trio as a young linebacking trio, unfortunately, Miami just hasn't really had that since. Now, if you look at uh, you know the two best from last year in a two-linebacker formation, uh, they're more than likely, I think, to be starters this season. Corey Flagg, who I think does have some serious unreached potential, and I hope he hits that, and Wayne Steed. Uh, depth at that position, Tyler Johnson, Ryan Ragoni, Keontre Smith, and the wild card you throw into the mix is a true freshman who might end up from day one of the regular season becoming one of your best at the position, one of your two or three best, and that's Wesley Besaint. More on him in a second because I want to bring up a silver lining at the linebacker position. This group is going to be well coached, okay? I could talk about weaknesses in personnel, you got to hope, and I, I said the same thing about the offensive line. When you have a head coach like Mario Cristobal, who's going to be very invested in the O-line play, and Alex Mirabal, who did an excellent job with Cristobal at Oregon, yeah, the linebacker core, they're going to be coached by Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong, who's been an accomplished head coach, defensive coordinator, and yeah, linebackers coach in college football, and he's coaching this group. Now, here's what Charlie Strong had to say about early enrollee freshman Wesley uh, Besaint after the scrimmage Miami had on Saturday. Quote, the thing you like about him is that he has length and he's willing to learn and listen to you. It's all new to him right now, but he's a guy that's going to have a bright future. So on the defensive side of the football, linebacker is the big concern for me. There's a couple spots you can look at uh, when it comes to the defensive backfield. I feel pretty good about safety, especially at the top with the Williamses there. No relation, of course, with James Williams and Avante Williams. As far as cornerback goes, it's tremendous getting Tyreek Stevenson back. Uh, he was your best corner in 2021. I'm glad he's back for 2022. Uh, Marcus Clark also back, started opposite. Stevenson had a good year, 24 tackles, one interception, couple of pass breakups, fumble recovery. Um, the rest of the depth there, Al Blades Jr. missed all of last year with injury. He's back to Corey Couch. Now, I didn't want to neglect cornerback here because there there is a certain, certain member of that group that anytime you see him on the field, Hurricanes fans gasp a little bit, and that's DJ Ivy. So at and, and for what it's worth, you know, this is a guy who struggled in coverage during his time at Miami, and that's that's being polite to say that. Uh, he's been good so far in spring ball, for what that's worth. Uh, has made some big plays, including a nice interception in practice. So 
maybe Jamila Dye, who's now coaching the defensive backs and is very, very highly touted coach that came in to join Cristobal staff. Maybe he can get a little something extra out of Ivy, but that's certainly a guy that you look at. When we come back, we'll give you some of Mario Cristobal's quotes and thoughts after Miami's first scrimmage of the spring. We are under two weeks away from the spring game. That's going to be April 16th in Fort Lauderdale. We'll tell you what Coach Cristobal had to say about the scrimmage next. I got to tell you, I had a great college basketball season at betonline.net, and I'm sure football season coming up will be as good or even better. Betonline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championships odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Live betting is a game changer, folks, and they are on top of it at BetOnline.net. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Tomorrow's episode of Locked on Canes is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to shed the negativity and we're going to give you Miami's strengths. In fact, you know what? I might need two episodes for that. We might have to devote Wednesday and Thursday's episode to Miami's projected strengths on their roster heading into the 2022 season. So we may stretch the positivity over the course of a couple of episodes, but uh, let's talk about the the thoughts coming out of Miami's first scrimmage this past Saturday. Now, I want to note, very important you guys know this, it was closed to the media. No media was there. We are relying on the thoughts and the quotes of Mario Cristobal and his coaching staff on what happened in the scrimmage. Miami did not release stats, and I'm fine with that. Uh, when it comes to college players working and improving, the media doesn't have to see everything, Okay. So this is what Mario Cristobal said, overall thoughts on it. We're gaining ground, he said. We practice at a certain pace and practice at a certain way. Mentality and identity are at the forefront of what we do, and we've got to keep bringing that along. When you go through your first scrimmage, typically you have some bad habits show up. Well, at the pace we're going, the next play comes in a hurry, and we're seeing some progress in terms of that. In terms of playing with technique and fundamentals, bending at the knee, coming out of our hips, striking people, using our hands, understanding leverage, understanding our playbook, understand how to play when it's hot or when we get tired. We can't come off it, and we're not going to come off it. And it all ties into everything we do, right? How you do anything is how you do everything. And that really ties into my takes from spring practice so far and the takes of Brian Monroe, who we talked to yesterday. You were seeing... A certain level of intensity and organization at practice that we haven't seen in some of the recent uh, position groups. Now, Cristobal also did say that the defense won the scrimmage, which is normal, and I think it's a good thing. Um, this time of year, the defense should be ahead of the offense. Uh, he did have some good things to say about the offensive line. They ran the ball well on Saturday. He said, we started off really well, team running, play action, but we took a dip. We felt like there were some things there where we couldn't get past it and we felt like we couldn't get out of our own way that was upsetting I've got to be honest with you he said that set me off and rightfully so the enemies in the other locker room and we should be finding ways to encourage each other and push each other and then we did he said got over the hump and then we went down there and scored but I had the official throw in a flag and back them up just to see what the response would be he was complimentary of the quarterback play 
I'll say with Tyler Van Dyke, I still think he's going to be, if not the best, one of the best in the country. You never want to proclaim being the best. You want to go earn it. But he's everything you've heard through the media or whatnot. Incredibly intelligent and diligent young man who understands football. Hard worker, great teammate, a gamer. When the lights are on and everything is coming at you 100 miles per hour, he has tremendous ability with his competitive response. He understands where to put the ball, how to put it there, the importance of knowing your protection, who's in and who's out, he said. On the defense, physical, he said. The day went to them today. They came out with a lot of juice. The offense scored a couple times and pounded it out a little bit, but the defense forced a lot of three and outs. They brought pressure. They really made it difficult for the quarterback to get comfortable. They created some negative plays in early down and distance situations. Then they had some moments where the offense marched down methodically and scored. A couple of big plays as well. But overall, if you had to add it up, the scorecard shows the defense did win the day. And that's where we will end the day. And tomorrow, we're going to be just bathing in positivity. We're going to talk about the biggest strengths on paper for the Miami Hurricanes roster heading in to the 2022 season.